Hi guys, I'm Marie and I am bringing you a new episode today. Maddie started a new job, so she's been very busy. So today you get just me, which might be just as well because today does involve the death of a child and we know how much Maddie hates these episodes. Although we all hate these episodes, but we know that they still happen. And I have actually been working on researching this case for over a year now, but it is one that I have continuously had to put down and needed time before returning to it. Today, I'm covering the case of seven-year-old Sophie Hook. Her parents are Julie and Christopher Hook, who married in 1984, and by 1995, they had four children, Gemma, who is nine, Sophie, who is seven, Joseph, who is five, and Ellie, who's only 21 months. Sophie was known as a beaming and happy seven-year-old, and she was murdered on July 30th of 1995 in Landino, Wales. Sophie and her family were from Great Budworth near Northwich, Cheshire. The family was close with Julie's sister, Fiona Jones, and her husband, Danny, who also had four children, and they lived in a little seaside resort town called Craigside. The families would visit each other often, and the summer of 1995 was no exception. It was July 29, and the families were celebrating the birthday of nine-year-old Luke, one of Sophie's cousins. There would be a garden party and barbecue, and they played charades and cooled off with the hose. While having fun in the garden, the children decided that they wanted to have a camp out in the garden that night, which, not surprising, a bunch of cousins get together, they're having fun. Luke had just gotten a new tent for his birthday, and so they really wanted to test it out. And I will say that when I get together with my sister, and we both have kids around the same ages, One of us always leaves missing a child or two, so not surprising at all. Sophie's mom would say, because it was such a lovely day, Sophie took her clothes off and was running around wearing just her knickers. I went about 4 p.m. after they cut the birthday cake and sang happy birthday, and the children waved goodbye. So the house had a large back garden, and there was a bridal path to the rear that was shielded by overgrown bush and a wooden gate. The coast was only a few minutes walk from the house. So if you're on the path kind of walking, you can't really see the backyard very well, but you can hear it. And if you kind of peek through the bushes, you can get a glimpse of it. Now, as the children played in the garden that afternoon, they had no idea that a man named Howard Hughes was lurking nearby. He was seen by several witnesses that day along the footpath adjacent to the property. And he was also seen riding his bike by multiple witnesses. When a woman walking her dog saw him lurking in the bushes, he would claim that he was looking for some money that he had dropped. Mm Mm-hmm. 
The theory is that Howard heard the children playing and possibly even talking about their plans to camp out in the garden. Now, Danny, Sophie's uncle, would build the children a bonfire near the entrance to the tent. In the tent that night would be Sophie, her sister, and two cousins. Sophie would, of course, have her favorite stuffed animal, a giraffe that she called Blankies, that she never went without. And at some point in the night, Sophie would vanish from the tent. We know that at 1220, the children left the tent after the youngest cousin, age six, got upset at the ghost stories that were being told. And he would stay in the house, but the other three children would return to the tent. We know that Sophie's uncle Danny went to check on the children in the tent between 12.40 and 12.45, and all of them were sound asleep. He did leave the back door ajar in case any of the remaining children decided to come back inside before he went to bed. Sophie's cousin would wake up in the morning around 2.30 a.m., and Sophie was still asleep in the tent. So we have three kids left at this point, and he said that Sophie was sleeping right in the middle. We also know at 2.55, so this is not even a half hour after we know Sophie is still sleeping in the tent. Howard Hughes is approached by a police officer who saw him lurking in the area but I couldn't find any information on what directive was given or what questions were asked. But we know that contact was made between Hughes and a police officer at 2.55 a.m. in the vicinity of Sophie's uncle's house. At 7.15 a.m., Sophie's sister and cousin would wake up and realize that Sophie was gone, and her stuffed giraffe, Blankies, was left behind in the tent. When they went inside, they would discover that Sophie was not there either, and the family would immediately search for her. And her family said that they knew something was terribly wrong because Sophie would never go anywhere without her stuffed giraffe. And after searching and finding nothing, they would call the police at 8.20 a.m., They reported that she was wearing a pink and white Winnie the Pooh nightdress, knickers, and a pair of Marks and Spencer socks with embossed pink flowers on them. Now, tragically, at 7 a.m., before anyone even knew that Sophie was missing, her body had already been found. 55-year-old Jerry Davis would be out walking his dog by the Craig E. Dawn paddling pool when he would find Sophie's naked and lifeless body washed up on the beach. And this is about a half mile from her uncle's house. Jerry would say that he thought the body was a tailor's dummy. He realized something was wrong when his dogs ran from her instead of investigating. He would take off his t-shirt and lay it over her before rushing to a nearby phone box to dial 999 which is the equivalent of 911 here. Her body had been thrown into the sea near a cliff called Little Orme at the eastern end 
of Lendito's promenade. It was apparent that Sophie had fought for her life. Trigger warning, if you don't want to hear any details about this, fast forward a little bit. The coroner said it looked like she had been in a car accident. Her upper arm and ankle were broken. She had internal bleeding from being raped and sodomized. And she had bleeding and bruising around her head and face, caused most likely by hand. She had bitten the inside of her mouth so hard that she had left bite marks there and she had been manually strangled. Detective Superintendent Eric Jones from North Wales Police would lead the murder inquiry and he said whoever was responsible for this crime is a very dangerous man, a brute who must be caught quickly. By 3.50 p.m., The day that Sophie was found, they would arrest Howard Hughes, which is so quick. But we know that people saw him in the area. We know that a police officer made contact with him. I do think it's crazy how fast they made this arrest. So if Howard Hughes is responsible for the kidnapping and murder of Sophie Hook, then he was somehow able to get her from this tent where she is sleeping between two other kids without rousing or waking any of them. Sophie's mother said that she was very wary of strangers and would not go with a stranger willingly. But Sophie is small and could have been picked up in her sleep and taken from the tent. So our suspect, Howard Hughes, is a 30-year-old unemployed gardener. Hughes was born on June 9 of 1965 to Gerald and Renee Hughes. He had three older sisters and his father was a well-respected civil engineer who operated a successful contracting and quarrying firm. Hughes had a lot of behavioral issues along with a learning disability. He was also born with the sex chromosome abnormality of XYY syndrome, which caused him to grow at an increased speed. And he would be six foot by the age of 11 and would eventually grow to be six, eight. And this might explain why so many witnesses remembered seeing Hughes because he's very tall and would most likely stand out. His father would pay for him to attend private school after a slew of disruptions and outbursts, he would be kicked out. And his father would offer to pay double tuition fees to keep him in, but at the age of 10, he would be sent to Bank Hall, which is a residential school for educationally subnormal children. Does that mean learning disabilities? I'm not really sure. Sounds like it, though. In 1979, he transferred to Woodlands Private School, where he failed to gain any qualifications. He would be sent to the Brine Eston Children's Home in Wexham in the hope that they could do something with him. 
And in the 1980s, it was discovered that the school was a major pedophile ring, and it was believed that Hughes was abused at this school during his time there. Now, in 1981, when Hughes was 16 years old, he kidnapped a seven-year-old boy, exposed himself, and made indecent suggestions before trying to strangle him. His victim would say, he picked me off the ground and threw me down. He was a very strong man. He wound up astride me with both hands around my neck. And at this point, this poor boy pretended to be dead until Hughes left. And for this crime, Hughes would be placed on a two-year mental health supervision order and committed to St. Andrews Psychiatric Hospital. And when released, he went home to live with his mother, who had recently separated from his father. And this was in Colony Bay, North Wales. Two years. Okay. For attempted murder. Two years. He is 16 at the time, but... By the time Hughes is 19, he has 17 convictions, ranging from assault, burglary, theft, criminal damage, threatening behavior motoring offenses, and weapons charges. He served three months in a youth detention center for a motoring offense and seven months in an adult prison for theft. And after getting out, he was accused of indecently assaulting girls aged three, five, and nine. He had also been interviewed in connection with five allegations on behalf of children, but these cases went nowhere due to parents and victims not willing to press charges or insufficient evidence. The day that Sophie is murdered, he is picked up by police. He is questioned and charged. But on August 3, 1995, the Crown Prosecution and police agreed that there was not enough evidence to charge Hughes, and at 3 p.m., he would be released. Police, however, would immediately rearrest him on possession of indecent images of children that had been found at his home, including a collection of girls' underwear hidden in a stone wall of his house. Oh, gross. Gross, gross, gross. Within seven hours, he would again be charged in the murder of Sophie Hook. Now, police say that when his dad, Gerald, came to the police station and into the glass-fronted room, Hughes broke down, and he would confess. So when his dad gets into the room, he says, If I'm going to stay in this room with you, I must know if you did it. To which Hughes responded, Dad, I did it. You don't know what it's like to be sexually frustrated. You don't know what it is. And then he said that his son told him the unprompted story. He said, He went to the garden first Saturday afternoon and invited one of the girls to go with him, but she refused. And then he would return after 2 a.m. He said that he approached the tent. He said, I persuaded the girl to go with me down to the beach. And he said, I've been sexually frustrated since 1990. Fuck you, Hughes. I can't even... He then said, 
We went to the sea and the girl started to scream. I put my hand over her mouth and I kept it there until she stopped. I took all her clothes off and threw her body into the sea. I think you left some convenient things out of that story there, Hughes. In a state of turmoil, he asked his son if he had sexually assaulted the little girl and received an immediate confirmation from his son. Now at this point, Hughes' sister Heather shows up and her father told her he did it. He's just told me that he's done it. She went over and started to question her brother and her dad said, there's no point going over it again. He's done it. When his dad came out of the room, he was asked to make a statement, but he refused. He initially told the detective, I will tell you this and only this, that if Howard is involved, this is the route by which he went home. He then went home and had a family meeting before calling detectives and telling them everything that his son had confessed. It wouldn't be long before Hughes would recant this confession. Shocking. Detectives would check his route home based on the information that they had gotten from Hughes's dad. And in the bushes along this route, they would find Sophie's Winnie the Pooh nightgown and her underwear. Chemical traces found on her clothing were identified as similar to those on a jar of jungle formula, which I think is an insect repellent, that was recovered from Hughes's home. They were not able to test his denim jacket, jeans, or shoes that he was wearing that night as they had been washed, they believe, by his mother. Which, why? I've never taken my children's jackets and shoes and washed them unprompted. Never. I'm just saying. The hairy bone pattern on the sole of his shoe did match a print found on a rhubarb leaf in the garden that Sophie was taken from. So we have a slight match there. So on June 24 of 1996, Hughes would go on trial at the Chester Crown Court where he was charged with abduction, rape, and murder. He was wearing a charcoal gray suit and his brown hair was about shoulder length. The jury of eight men and four women would hear no forensic evidence linking him to the murders. What they did have was three witnesses who reported seeing Hughes near the scene. They also had Jonathan Carroll, who was a career criminal who was in prison at the time, and he testified that he had seen Hughes in the early morning hours of Sophie's disappearance carrying a sack along the street. And he said that he had seen that there was a naked body inside the bag. Oh, and he also admitted that he had been in the process of stealing at the time. To make it even better, they also had a convicted child sex offender named Michael Giddy testify that Hughes had boasted about wanting to rape a girl of about four or five. Gross. The career criminal who saw him carrying a bag with Sophie's body in it, I would say that's a take or leave it confession because 
who knows if it's true or not. Hughes defense attorney Patrick Harrington would say there were some deeply troublesome aspects of the case against his client. He said the police took no time to decide who they wanted. Hughes was well-known in the area. He led a strange and bizarre life, and this is why police zeroed in on him. He said there was no evidence to connect his client to the body of Sophie Hook, and that the police had failed to record the conversation between his client and his father. He said police had a rush to charge his client because he had a mental handicap and was vulnerable. I don't know about all of that. I hate that the confession between him and his father was not recorded. However, what motive would his father have to lie about that? And not only that, but information that Howard had given his father during this confession was used to locate Sophie's clothing on the footpath from the beach to his home. Now, during the trial, Hughes did appeal, claiming that he had never confessed to his father. Lord Bingham, the judge, would dismiss this appeal. And Hughes would shout from the dock, Sir, I never made a confession. Either way, the confession would stand. Detective Jones would praise Gerald Hughes about this confession, saying, He is a man of honor who did a very brave thing. He must have searched his conscience for a very long time, but he came up with the right answer. His dad had said that he went to the police station hoping against hope that his son was innocent of the crime he was being charged for and said that his son's confession came as a shattering blow. So the best evidence really that they have against Hughes is this confession. Without this confession, I think it would have been virtually impossible to convict him of this crime. But on July 18 of 1996, at the age of 31, the jury found Hughes guilty on all three charges, and he was given three life sentences. Justice Richard Curtis said, You are a fiend. Your crime is every parent's worst nightmare come to pass. No girl is or ever will be safe from you. My recommendation in view of your appalling crime and the maximum danger you pose to girls is that you are never, ever released. And Hughes continued to proclaim his innocence as he was led out of the courtroom. And he mouthed to the jury, I didn't do it. Sophie's parents were not in court as the idea was too distressing for them, but her uncle Danny was there and he began crying as Hughes was led away. It is also believed that earlier on the day that Sophie was kidnapped and murdered, that Hughes had actually attempted to kidnap a six-year-old girl named Alexandra Roberts from a park that was just a few minutes away from the garden that Sophie was taken from. Alexandra was doing handstands in the park when Hughes tried to grab her, but the girl was able to run away. 
On September 5 of 1997, the Court of Appeals gave Howard Hughes leave to appeal against his conviction, and then two weeks later, the Court of Appeals rejected Hughes's bid to have his convictions quashed. On September 2 of 2001, a second appeal was denied. The judge who made the decision also ruled that they would not allow Hughes to further contest his convictions without new evidence. However, the innocent organization believed that there was not enough evidence to convict him and believed that there was a miscarriage of justice. And it wasn't just lack of evidence in this case. There were also some questions raised about the investigation itself. 34-year-old David Gardner from Colony Bay in North Wales is accused of leaking information on the Sophie Hook case to reporters. It is alleged that he leaked a police custody picture of Hughes and of giving confidential psychiatric report to the former Today newspaper. He would go on trial and be found not guilty of the charges, although he would stay suspended until the internal investigation concluded. I think part of why he was found innocent is he did not work on the case, and authorities said that he would not have had access to the picture or the documents. But even if he didn't work specifically on the case, that doesn't mean that he couldn't have gained access to these documents. Either way, though, in my opinion, this might bring into question the actions of a particular member of the police department because this leak did happen. But I don't feel like it necessarily brings in question the integrity of the entire investigation. The culprit of the leak has never been identified. With things the way they currently are, Hughes would not be eligible for parole until he is 80 years old. Good. Now, in 1998, Hughes launched a compensation claim against the Byron Estein Children's Home, where he claimed that he had been abused as a child. Which it was, this was one of the biggest scandals in the UK as it was the subject of 138 complaints of physical and sexual abuse and was considered one of the biggest pedophile rings in the 70s and 80s. But Hughes, what are you going to do with that money? There's, you're in jail. You're not getting out. This case really is the thing of nightmares for all parents. Julie Hook, Sophie's mom, would say, I kissed them goodbye and said, I'll see you tomorrow. It was not the area where you would fear for your children's safety, especially when sharing a tent with others in a fenced off garden. I protected my children so much. They were not allowed to cross the road on their own. We both feel very, very sorry that the one time she needed us most We were simply not there for her. And that feeling will never go away. And this case also had a profound impact on the entire community. The man that found Sophie, Jerry, he said, it's something I will never get out of my head. It's never going to go. It's entrenched in my brain. I feel so sorry for her family, her parents and other relatives. They will never get over it. It's such a shame that it happened on a summer's evening in a place like Landindo. 
he would even attend Sophie's funeral at her parents' request and would break down crying when looking at the palette with Sophie's pictures on it. But that is the story of little Sophie Hook. It's absolutely heartbreaking. I hate, hate, hate that things like this happen. I hate that there are even stories like this to cover. And I promise our next story will not be about a child. Thank you so much for listening. If you want some more episodes or bonus material, go and check us out on Patreon. We have lots of bonus episodes on there right now and would love your support. We're also getting our Christmas cards ready to send out this year to our Patreon. So we would love to see you guys over there. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will talk to you soon. Bye. One, two, three.